Guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Arsenio Buck Show. Welcome back to Gateway for Exams, or I'm sorry, two exams. Today we're going to be talking about are sports stars born or made? I'm going to give you guys a writing task one segment for you IELTS takers out there. You will have a report, okay, okay, that you're going to have to a write out. Like, again, I told you guys about the whole report writing and I helped you with that. So again, you're going to have that. And then at the very end, you're going to listen to five people talking about voluntary work. Okay. So again, in the, are sports stars born or made? That's going to be me speaking. And then in the extra podcast that you're going to hear after that, it is someone else speaking. As a matter of fact, five other speakers. So in saying that, What I have here is a magazine article, okay? Six paragraphs. As a matter of fact, I have seven paragraphs that are, okay, so wait, we got six paragraphs. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then we have A through G, okay? A through G. Now, obviously, one of them will not go in because you have six paragraphs and you have seven letterheads, like the headings, all right? So one of them does not fit in. So you're going to have to match them. Again, I'm going to go over the one through six first, give you guys a nice little readout, and then I'll go through A through G. So make sure you take notes, all right? I think I have written this out on my blog also, thearseniobuckshow.com. So again, if you want to read it and follow along, you most certainly can. Read it out loud with me, all right? That's never a shameful thing to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this bad boy. Okay. Are sports stars born or made? I love this. I love this topic. But before I just go on a rant with everything, let me just read this out for you guys to provide some context. So the first or the preceding paragraph in bold goes a little something like this. What separates a competent player in a school or local team from a gold, oh, I'm sorry, that you know what, that's supposed to be a question. Here we go. What separates a competent player in a school or local team from a gold medal winning star? At what stage is it possible to identify potential new stars in childhood, the teenage years, or not until adulthood? Is that potential determined by their genes or their environment? Certainly, there is plenty of superficial evidence for the importance of genes. Paragraph one. Well, the short answer is maybe. That's because when we dig deeper into the influence of genes, we find that this is a highly complex area of science. Let's take something as straightforward as height. It's reasonable to assume that someone's height is going to have a major impact on how far they can progress in certain sports like basketball or high jump. And research has also established that it's highly heritable. It's, I'm sorry, it's a highly heritable characteristic. 80% being down to genes and 20% environment and diet. Number two, none of this is to say that genes aren't important. It's just that there are other aspects of sports performance that are going to be easier to identify and manipulate. For starters, few young athletes would be able to get involved with sports at all without help or without the help from their parents who provide valuable resources, including transportation, finance, and emotional support. 
Then it's also widely recognized that coaches contribute to an athlete's well to an athlete's development in numerous ways. I can agree to that. Number three, indeed, Sir Clive Woodward, formerly the England rugby coach, believes that there are very few things that cannot be coached. However, most coaches would also recognize that there are certain influences that they do not control, and one of the most crucial of these is the wider culture. Why do so many good icy hot players, ice hot, oh my God, icy hot players, <laughs> ice hockey players come from Canada? Football is from Brazil, rugby players from New Zealand. Admittedly, there's little that most sports people can do to influence this. But what is relatively easy to change is where a young athlete grows up. Evidence suggests that this should be neither too small nor too big. Minor towns lack the necessary facilities and in larger centers and facilities become overloaded. There's also the debate about age. Is it better to allow children to play a broad spectrum of sports before choosing a specialization or to specialize young? Number five, given this specializing, too young could be a mistake. But whichever route an athlete takes, this has nothing to do with genetics and everything to do with environment. So is there any role at all for genetics in determining top athletes? The answer seems to be qualified yes. That's because knowing more about our genetic makeup can provide information of great value to athletes. Number six, the truth then is that top athletes need both nature and nurture. Few, if any, are going to make it to the very top on raw talent alone. It will take years of dedicated training and coaching as well. But certain inherent physical abilities may predispose an individual to reach the highest ranks of a particular sport. End. So, now I'm going to add in my opinion. Now, again, when it comes to genetics and stuff, just think about it. If we look at, let's look at track and field for an example. Back in the early 1900s, there were just Caucasian men running the 100-meter final at the Olympics, correct? Correct? I mean, we could attest to that. So all the way leading up to Jesse Owens, which obviously he took down Hitler's army uh, at the Berlin Olympics, I think that was 1936, if I'm not mistaken, he ended up being, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the most influential people in, you know, sports history. But then a trend became of that. Leading into the 40s, 50s, you started seeing more Black athletes. You didn't see the Kenyans, the East Africans over here to the right, you know, running for, uh, you know, for their respective countries in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. That didn't happen until the early 2000s. And now, obviously, 800, the 1600, the 3200, it is purely dominated by most East Africans. Not the 800 so much, but 1600 and more. The Ethiopians, the Kenyans, everyone from these African nations, they are the most dominant runners in terms of long distance. So if we fast forward, well, what happened? 60s, 70s, 
I don't remember many famous black runners in the 60s or 70s, but then came the 80s. Then came Carl Lewis. That's when it all began. Michael Johnson started making his way in the late 80s. Next thing you know, Michael Marsh, all these other prolific runners. Michael Johnson ended up taking over and smashing a world record in 1996. By that time, he was running up against an all-black fleet of runners. Not so much the 400-meter runners, you know, because you had a... Um, I forgot his name, but a white guy from Great Britain uh, who ended up having a very, very good time back in those 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. But, you know, that final, you had Otto Bolden, Trinidad and Tobago. You had Frankie Fredericks from the Libya, or I'm sorry, Namibia or Libya? I'm pretty sure it's Libya. Yeah, for sure it's Libya. No, it could have been Namibia. Oh, I don't know. But anyways, by the time 2000 rolled around, every... For every 100-meter final from 2000, 04, 08, 12, 16, and unfortunately, there's no 20. But I would say out of those eight runners, the majority of them are all Caribbean runners. Jamaicans, right? The Trinidadians, they're there now. The Grenadians, um, you know, and of course, the Americans. But they're all colored. So then that's when Michael Johnson ended up coming out with um, a documentary saying the reason why we are all the fastest runners in the world is because, you know, our ancestors were slaves. Now, there's no scientific evidence to back that. But again, think about it. Ice hockey players, Canada, American football players, they come in, they come in a variety of ways, but the, most, the fastest are all black. Basketball players, the best basketball players, all black. The last great white player, I mean, again, German, Dirk Nowitzki, there's another guy that's playing for the Mavericks. He's somewhere from one of the Eastern European countries, but the dominant, like 98% of the league is all dominant in black. So, you know, again, in terms of height, other than Sean Bradley, who reached a, a towering height of 7'6", okay, Yao Ming, that's another one, and Chinese people are getting significantly taller, too. But the best athletes, again, black, when it comes to American football and basketball. Now, if we go to football, Brazil, but not anymore. That tide has changed. 02, Brazil was amazing. Uh, 06, they were great. They got knocked out by France. And then they've been lackadaisical ever since. So who are the best now? Whoa, Europeans. Well, that's weird. I wonder how that happened. So, again, now you have the spanish okay now oh but if we look at france they won the last world cup and they should have won the last euro cup too so france if you look at that entire team it's not what france used to be back in the 80s which was a predominantly white team you got pepe not pepe and and pepe you have pogba you have just a bunch of black players but again they have an african descent but they are from france see what i mean rugby the all blacks those are the, the, the majority of them maori people those are hard hidden beasts those folks from samoa they are no joke tonga no joke the fijians no joke they hit you like ooh. now again england did reach the final but who did England have on that final team? They had someone from, again, a Polynesian country down there in the Tonga area. If you look at Japan, Japan made the quarterfinals. How? Go look at that team. 
They had probably between three and six Samoans. They had some Caucasians and everything. So it's not just a predominant one race anymore, which is really fantastic about rugby. But, um, you know, South Africa, then being, of course, white and black, they ended up hoisting up the trophy and whatnot. But, again, just put it, put it into perspective. We could talk about baseball. Why are the Puerto Ricans and the Dominicans the best? Those are the best, best baseball players, other than the Mike Trouts and all these other guys, which I don't really know much about, and they like to publicize them more than they publicize the Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz of the world. But again, the best players, the most disciplined players, they come out of Japan and Korea. They, Japan, J- the Japanese and the Koreans are the best baseball playing teams in the world. Why? Because their discipline is unbelievable. They beat out my Ricans. They beat out the Dominicans and the Americans with Mike Trout and all those other high paid guys. They're not really good whatsoever when it comes to the top eight countries in terms of baseball. So we could just go down. So are sports stars born or made? Now we could go into the whole discipline side of it. But before I do that, let's get into these paragraphs, shall we? So paragraph A, the most obvious is to optimize the athlete's training and so enable them to advance to higher levels of attainment. But their role is wider than, wait, their role is wider than is general. Is that, that's a wrong, but their role is wider than is generally understood. I'm pretty sure that's a grammatical error and may include everything from nutrition to psychology. B. The choice may be very, oh my God, I hate this. The choice may vary dependent on the individual. Remember, however, that many sports complement each other. Lending skills that can transfer to another discipline and enhance a youthful athlete's abilities. C, however, that's where the simplicity ends. Scientists have, so far, identified hundreds of thousands of different variations in DNA that can account for how tall someone is. D, how else can we explain why some athletes become world-class within 12 months of taking up a sport, while others train for years and are never more than mediocre? That's a fair point. Is there any other explanation for why certain countries like Jamaica seem to dominate sprint races? Like I said, at the dawn of 2000, they started dominating. While East African athletes often dominate distance running events. We got to talk about discipline there. We can't just go on to genetics. Everyone has the same pair of lungs. E, it may be the sort of foods or training programs that are most beneficial for their body type or learning more about their susceptibility to certain injuries. And it might provide insights into which sport they're most likely to excel at. F, that's because athletes have so far shown very little enthusiasm for this sort of experimentation. Instead, they have preferred to rely on established techniques. G, this is one aspect of elite sport and success that's difficult to pin down. But, say the experts, hard to overstate. The fact remains that certain national identities seem to have so much invested in one particular sport that it makes further success in that sport inevitable. So those are your paragraphs. So what you're going to do, you're going to match those paragraphs with one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's a lot to be said. If we look at Will Chamberlain, he was a one of a kind. 
tall guy, terrible basketball skills. If you watch some of his games, man, he would get completely thrashed by the Shaquille O'Neal's of the world. But nonetheless, those guys were beyond their time back in the 50s and 60s, the Bill Russells, okay? So was it about discipline? No. It wasn't until Michael Jordan when you started understanding discipline. The discipline behind Michael Jordan was unbelievable. His work ethic was like win, 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 win at all costs. He was not a good team player, okay? He was not a good teammate, and he was an asshole off the court, but he wanted to win. And so people praise him for being the greatest because he wanted to win. So if we look at other disciplined athletes, LeBron James, Cristiano Ronaldo, this guy totaled probably 100 million U.S. dollars in one calendar year. I think he and Roger Federer were two of the richest people of the last one of the last year uh, in terms of sports because he obviously he's been dominating the sport for literally since like 2006, 2007, which is unbelievable to see someone in his prime for that long. So, again, going back to his dieting and his discipline, amazing. Messi, I don't know. I don't know much about him. But looking at people's discipline, again, if, you have, if you're genetically gifted, there are people that just are genetically gifted, okay? That's all there is to it. I know I have a student at the age of 12. He's as tall as me right now. And I'm like, dude, you can't let that go to waste, but I'm going to let you pursue something whatever it is that you would like to pursue. But I would definitely like you to take up something that requires you to push your body to because you're going to become a beast. But if you don't want to do it, okay, that's up to you. He doesn't understand it yet from that perspective. But again, he is he's a mathematician. He is brilliant beyond belief. So in saying that, his name is Gas. You have other people who have the genetics, but they have the terrible discipline. You have the other people who have great discipline, but not great ge genetics. So look at Stephen Curry, for example. This guy, Stephen Curry, I still remember when Vince Carter came to town in the early 2000s, he was a little boy. When he was playing at Davidson, I remember those days when he ended up, you know, taking down the, uh, the was it Gonzaga Force or Georgetown, and then took down Gonzaga, and then took down the Wisconsin, and then went to the Elite Eight and should have took out Kansas. Him alone. Not genetically gifted whatsoever. He was exactly like me. But he knew, ooh, I could be very, very good at being a sharpshooter, a three-point shooter. So let me master that. He knew what, he could, what could be an extreme advantage, and now he's the greatest shooter in NBA history. So genes or not, environment or not, I know a lot of African-American men who could have made the league. I know one of my friends, I went to, with two of them, One's name was Arise Perkins, and the other one's name was Terrence McGill. Terrence McGill was probably about 6'2", 6'3". He could have been an excellent one-two guard. Arise Perkins could have been a great point guard. He ended up playing for Grambling State. But Terrence, without his discipline was not there. He did not beat on his craft. He did not take 2,000 shots a day. He did not make phone calls and show up to different practices and, you know, collaborate and you know, show his skills off out there. He didn't. And he let all that go to waste. He could have been in the league. Another guy by the name of Kaiten Reiner, he played for UNLV about eight years ago. This guy was an amazing three-point shooter. But his lateral quickness was slow. He was slow going from right to left. He was slow getting up and down the court. He started packing on pounds. And guess what? He said in 2012, 
I really want to. I want to play in the NBA so bad. Well, he ended up playing in Greece. Not to say that Greece is not good, but his goal was to get to the NBA. However, he had the genes. He lacked a significant amount of discipline. So, in saying that, guys, again, if you go to my life and to top this one off, when I ran track and field, I lacked discipline. Sure, I did it for fun. If I had known back in 2004, 2005, if I did 10 400-meter wind sprints, eight 300-meter wind sprints, uh, six 200-meter wind sprints in under 24 seconds, if I lift weights, if I did this, if I worked on my core, which no one even knew what a goddamn core was except the core of Earth. This was 2005. This was pre-internet days. Internet was terrible in 05, okay? It's not like what it is today. It's unfathomable today. If I had known, I would have made the state championship, absolutely. When I lined up at the Sunrise Regional Championships at Green Valley High School, I'm sorry, Palo Verde High School in 2005, I had a great opportunity to at least reach the Sunrise Regional Finals. Now, could I have gotten to the state championship? No, probably not. But again, I was running a 40, my best time was probably like a 44 or a 43 second 300 meter race. That's actually pretty bad. But in Nevada, it's good because the world record is like 34 seconds, right? And so looking at the California runners and the CIF and the state finals and everything, those guys are clocking in 36 is easy. But me in Nevada, all I had to do was just get, okay, can I get a 42? But because I didn't have discipline, because I didn't have a weight room that I could go to on a routine basis, because I didn't wake up and have that passion behind running, I didn't make it. So by the time I went to college, it was already broken. I went to Central Arizona College, stare Coach Shirley in the eye, wonderful guy. His assistant was a jackass, but Coach Shirley was a wonderful guy. He didn't know that I had a terrible time in the 100-meter race. He didn't know that I was terrible also at the 300 meters. Now, you're going from 300 meters in high school to 400-meter uh, hurdles in college with an increased three inches per hurdle. You're no longer at 36 in high school. You're at 39 inches. So it's practically running 110-meter hurdles for 400 meters. How could I have done that? So what happened? Well, I didn't have the passion. I didn't want to wake up and run like six miles in the morning. I didn't want to run with a bunch of African-Americans who were just so, they were just toxic. They hated me. You're still, the, the, the things that would come out of their mouth, I'm like, this is not a team. This is a job. I don't consider this to be a passion. It was fun in high school. This is a job now. I'm out. I quit. And guess what? A guy who still follows me on Instagram today, Devon Shedd. He ended up claiming the National Junior College Championship. He got himself a fat ring. That year, I quit. Do, am, I, am I angry about it? No. There's no way that I would have persisted through that climate and running around rattlesnakes and javelinas and cacti in a disgusting desert in Arizona. I wasn't going to continue doing that. I didn't have that discipline. Did I have the genes? Yes. Was I tall enough to do crazy 
what is it, 42-inch, 110-meter hurdles? Probably not. Could I have done better possibly in the long jump? Absolutely. Could I have done better possibly in the high jump? Absolutely. But I didn't see it that way. I, w I went from looking at it as something being fun to it being a job. Those are to two totally different things. And if I have to wake up every morning and do something and run with people who I hate, I can't do it. The sprinters from the Bahamas, Trinidad, um, Grenada. Uh, I still remember Marcus Duncan. He ended up running for uh, Arizona State. Uh, Joel was a 400-meter uh, runner. He ended up running for Arizona State. Uh, Donald Samford, this is a cool guy. He looked like Kobe Bryant, as a matter of fact. He went to the Olympics. He ran the 400-meter relay for Israel. Yep, he sure did. And it's amazing. I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy for them because they continue doing what they were known to do. But that wasn't my passion. I still love to run. I've always loved to run. There's no stopping it, but you're not going to tell me what to do in terms of running. No, okay, I'm sitting up 10 miles. We have to prepare for a meet and run with a whole bunch of people I don't like. I can't do that. So that's my story. A heck of a long story. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Again, I know a lot of you out there, I, I don't know how many women are listening to my podcast, uh, but I know hopefully some men can relate to this and hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast. So ah, second phase, we have a writing, okay? That writing is going to be on the blog, okay? The report, it says, research shows that the environment people live in is extremely important. Write a report on recreational facilities for young people in your area and make recommendations for how they could be improved. Then you can send that to me. You can also send the writing tasks for me. I'll grade those for free. Doesn't matter, English speaker or non-native English speaker, send them my way. So now in saying that, what we're gonna be doing is getting going into this listening. This is the last phase, okay? So in multiple matching listening questions, this is a tip, tip for listening exams, okay? Use the second listening to focus on task two and to answer any parts of task one that you didn't hear the first time. This is what I did for my TOEFL test. Before I came back to Bangkok about two weeks ago, I'm gonna have to go, well, by the time you listen to this, I'm back and, back and forth everywhere up country and stuff. Um, Sometimes I skip the first question because it zooms right past me. And then I go back after I have a more thorough understanding of the entire listening. Well, this is what you're going to be doing. So what we have here, okay, you're going to listen to five people talking about voluntary work. Listen and complete both tasks. So task one, for questions one through five, you have A through H. What type of voluntary work does each speaker or is each speaker talking about? You have speaker one, two, three, four, five. There are three extra letters which you do not need to use, A through H. So A, okay, you can check this out on my blog. A, collecting money on the streets. B, environmental work. C, helping at a homeless shelter. D, helping at a hospital. E, helping at a library. F, charity shop assistant. G, building a skate park. H, website creation. Okay, so you're going to match these with the speakers. And then for task two, for questions six through 10, choose A through H for the reason each speaker gives for doing 
the voluntary work. So the voluntary work is in the previous task one A through H, but the reasons is the task two. A, researching a future career. B, developing business contacts. C, getting to know a new area. D, relieving stress, not reliving. You never want to relive stress, but relieving, meaning alleviating, meaning getting rid of. E, acquiring new skills. F, keeping physically fit. G, being part of a team. H, believing in the cause. So again, what you can do is get a notepad and you could take notes. And then after that, what we're going to do is you, you could go back to, of course, my website, and then you'll be able to see there. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. I could definitely, uh, let, let me check this out and let me see if all the information matches. See what I mean? So, and saying that low system resources may affect your audio quality. Try closing some applications. Why does it say that? So hold on, people. Let me hurry up and close some applications just in case. I would be so sad if this just did not work whatsoever. So what I'm doing is I am quitting a couple of things so I don't have problems. And this might start freezing out of nowhere, so my audio might start going a little bit crazy. I apologize for that. But again, this has been a very long podcast and I do not want to mess this up. So what I'm going to do is take it off, stop, share again. It's still saying low system resources, da, 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 da. You know what? I think the system resources, this came up last time. So whatever, I'm going to go along with it, but I'm actually going to put this on the charger too, just in case. So again, I don't think that, yep, the little message has not come up. So I think that's all good. So I'm going to have to move from one place to another just so I can get the good old charger on here so nothing dies and turns off. And then what we're going to be doing, you're going to be matching, as I have already stated. And we're going to get on with it. That's what I said in the previous podcast. So nonetheless, guys, here we go. Hopefully it works. <laughs> Gateway know? to exams. Okay, here we go. Units 7 and 8. Exercise 4. Speaker 1. I guess in many ways it's out of character. I mean, I've never done anything like this before. Actually, I spend a lot of my time online and using social media, so all of this is kind of a fresh start for me. But that's also the point, really. You see, my family had just arrived in town and I had no friends at all. And then just down the road, I saw that they're constructing this facility and it's mostly volunteers doing the work. It's quite ambitious. There's a half pipe, ramp, handrail and stairway, not just for boards, but scooters and bikes as well. So it gave me the chance to find out more about people in the community around here and meet some local kids of my age. It's been really great. Scottish accent. Speaker 2. Scottish. I knew I wanted to work in the health sector. I'd spent a lot of time reading about all the different options. British. I went online, borrowed every book I could find, but I wasn't getting anywhere. There were just so many different possibilities. It all became a bit confusing. And none of my family or friends worked in that area. So it seemed like a great idea to spend some time here during the holidays and get more of an idea about what exactly I want to do within the sector. I've tried a bit of everything. I've been on awards, doing admin, guiding visitors, and I know now that I want to train as a nurse. Mm. Speaker 3. 
I came to live in this area about six months ago. I already had quite a few colleagues based in the area and I got a great new job opportunity in marketing. But the National Park was a big attraction as well. In fact, I spend most of my weekends up there now. There's quite a large group of us involved as volunteers and we all get on well together. We do all sorts of things, uh, weed control, tree planting, protecting endangered species, that sort of thing. It's hard work, no question about that, and I often get home completely exhausted. But I keep going because it's just something I feel really strongly about. Speaker 4 I have a demanding role for a large IT company, which involves a lot of international travel. I'm hardly ever home, and you'd think that when I was, I'd relax by walking in the park or playing sport or something, but I'm just not that sort of person. I've lived in this town all my life, and I just love working in the store every Saturday morning. We sell mostly second-hand clothes, but also household items, books, anything that people don't want anymore, as long as it's in decent condition. All the profits go to people in need in our local area. For me, it's the perfect way to unwind and forget the pressures of my job, chatting to the customers, talking about local events, it's the complete opposite to my working life. Speaker 5 A lot of organisations, they're totally focused on volunteers going out into the community and interacting with the public. You know, standing with a bucket outside the supermarket, fundraising, that sort of thing. And those activities are really important, obviously. But there are behind-the-scenes jobs for volunteers that are also important. I mean, some local organisations that are trying to help others don't have any online presence at all. They don't have people with the software knowledge to set that up. So the project I'm involved with, they actually teach you how to do it. That was the big attraction for me, because I learnt something as well. And then I go out and help these small volunteer organisations by setting up a page for them and getting them on the net. It's a win-win situation. And there it is, people. You know, so again, guys, if you have Netflix, there's a movie called The Foreigner with Jackie Chan, right? Well, if you go on there, Belfast is in Northern Ireland, right? So if you want to hear a completely, totally different Ireland that is very comparable to what you just heard in Speaker One, you could definitely go on there and check that out. And oh my God, it's so interesting to hear that accent. Um... And the first time I heard it, I was like, what? I've never heard that before. But again, Northern uh, Irish accent is completely different from a Northern Irish accent, a Northern Ireland Irish accent, whatever it may be. But nonetheless, oh, I told you guys this is going to be a long one. I told you it was going to be long and hopefully you guys liked it. So again, if you guys enjoyed it, make sure you share it away share it with whomever, go to the blog, do the exercises, do the reading, uh, add your opinion, man. I would love to hear that. Also, Patreon is available if you want exclusive lessons. I'm still offering those. Uh, and again, if you want to uh, donate in any shape or form for what I'm doing on here too, you could do that. But nonetheless, um, oh man, that is the end. That is the end of this whole section. We're moving into a completely different phase now. So Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to another ESL podcast. Guys, we don't have many episodes left. We have probably about 30 to 40 episodes left, okay? I know some of you are like, oh my God, that's a long time. I, well, you never know. 
because I have a lot of international guest speakers. I do a lot of evaluation in terms of writing. So again, it gets pushed back. It's not like it used to be where I used to do like five of these specific podcasts and then go through with it and um, do just a couple of weekend podcasts. I add in a lot of spice now. So in saying that, guys, thank you. Thank you. And thank you so, so much for tuning in to this wonderful ESL podcast. If you guys have any questions, let me know. Be sure to rate me on the Apple Store if you have an Apple iPhone. Give me a rating. Give me a comment. Engage with me on Instagram. Again, a lot of you who are following me and listen to me on Spotify or TuneIn or Podchaser, you guys have been following me on Instagram and asking me for tips and tricks and stuff. So thank you so much, man. I love you all. I support you all. And stay tuned for more, man. I am your host, as always, over and